0: Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. On this edition of our show, we're going to talk about NIL, name, image, and likeness. Two esteemed guests are joining me here in our show. We've got Pia La Palombetta. She is the Assistant Athletic Director for Compliance at The Ohio State University. And Stan Wilcox. He is the Executive Vice President for Regulatory Affairs at the NCAA, where Pia formerly worked. Uh, Stan, let me start with you. Uh, In the end of summer, entering the fall, just overall, an umbrella first, before we get into the weeds of everything. Where are we right now in, I believe, year two? It's all sort of blurring together for me. Uh, In the name, image, and likeness space, where are we overall, would you say?
1: Well, overall, I would say, um... many many student athletes are getting opportunities now to uh, uh, earn additional dollars through their name image and likeness by doing deals with whether it's uh, individual companies, uh, different organizations, et cetera. So I think the the overall goal of uh, making name image and likeness opportunities available to our student athletes has been successful. I think we', we're having some difficulties uh, right now is that, you know, everybody was uh, really um, ready and rushed into the space. And um, as we uh, came out of a number of lawsuits, we had to pare down or pare back some of the uh, guardrails that we had in place. Um, So I think that uh, there are a number of uh, our membership that is somewhat frustrated uh, because of the fact that they are reading or seeing where it appears that there are individuals out there that might be abusing uh, name, image, and likeness uh, and not uh, staying within the overall policy uh, by doing things that appear because they're not, it's, uh, these, these deals are not transparent. So some of the things that are being reported appear to be in violation of some current NCAA rules. And, uh, and therefore the membership is getting more and more frustrated as they see more and more of these reports that appear that are outside this, the scope of what was intended when we opened up name, image and likeness for student athletes.
0: All right, so I'm gonna to get to that in a minute because first of all, uh, what we see on social media may not always be the truth of the actual deal. I mean, these contracts aren't made public. So sometimes I think we have to find the truth in the middle, but I I wanna get to some of those questions here in a moment. First, Paya, you're on the ground, you're in the space, in the compliance space at a high profile, massive university. So what is going on on the ground for your student athletes at The Ohio State University?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, I, I think our student athletes are in a fortunate position where uh, the Ohio State fan base is is rabid, and they are excited and there are a lot of opportunities available both Columbus and nationally and then internationally for some of our student athletes as well. Um, generally what I would kind of compare this to is like jumping out of an airplane, uh, but with a parachute, and then maybe even a backup parachute, that's how uh, compliance officers like to work. Um, So prior to July 1, what our office and what our university really focused on was just putting in place a lot of systems uh, and internal communication plan so that, you know, when things hit the fan, which inevitably we knew they would at some point or another, we already had a structure Uh, and decision makers in place so that we could work through a lot of these challenges at a more rapid pace. Um, So I think that's been incredibly helpful for our department and for our student athletes as well, um, as we've been able to support them through some really interesting and unique deals. I would say overall, though, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's, um, you know, generally, when you think of compliance, we more operate on the internal side, you don't really That's not a
0: word that's usually thrown around in compliance. (laughs) There might be other words, but not fun.
2: It's true. We, well, we can be fun, but this can also be fun as well. So generally, you know, compliance, we're more on the internal ops side of things. You don't really see us in front of the camera. We don't really quite know what to do. Um, but this has been a really kind of great opportunity for us to sort of flex our muscles a little bit as well and get more involved on the external side and the revenue generation side. Um, and that ability to connect has helped us to collaborate with our other departments within the university, uh, with our trademark and licensing office, with our um, athletics marketing company as well. Um, And it's just been really fun to see for our student athletes. So, you know, we work with our student athletes on a day-to-day basis and really seeing them overnight, you know, become uh, entrepreneurs and brand owners and brand managers has been really, really exciting to see. Um, We've loved watching their growth and their ability to take off. So I, I really think having those structures in place of of course, we keep from the compliance side where we, we love a good structure, we love a good process, um, but having that flexibility to be able to pivot really easily um, when we get a new opportunity or hear about a different sort of deal that our student athletes are interested in or our um, our director of NIL is interested in pursuing, it, it's allowed us to be a little bit more flexible as well.
0: So you said something very interesting just there, uh, uh, Paya, it sounds, and obviously I'm not there on a day-to-day basis, that you've got a good relationship. And I think that's critical in this space that there's basically a conversation of what could occur. Uh, and if you have a relationship with your compliance office and it is not adversarial, which it has been in the past, not at Ohio State, but I'm just saying in general, um, you know, then you can actually have a two-way conversation about what could work, what couldn't, You know, which dovetails into what Stan was talking about earlier about uh, potential violations. How critical is that for other compliance officers like yourself across the country to build those relationships so that you don't play catch up and play gotcha after the fact?
2: Yeah, I mean, that is the cornerstone of our job is our relationships, because what we really want to be as compliance staff members is advocates and more proactive when we're working with our student athletes and staff and donors and collectives and things along those lines. And to do that, you know, people aren't going to just trust you overnight and send you or talk to you about really important things unless you have that relationship in place. So that's really something that our office focuses on is making sure that we're getting out there, we're meeting with our student athletes and our coaches and everyone else so that people have an understanding of what we do and a comfort coming to us. Um, So what we actually do is we have a weekly meeting with our university compliance office, our legal affairs, our trademark and licensing, our business advancement, our director of NIL, and our sport administration office. So we all get together and have been for over a year on a weekly basis. And for at least an hour, we talk through things. Um, And it goes an hour, every, at least an hour every single week. There is always something new to explore when it comes to NIL. And I really think developing that relationship really early on, as we were sort of even talking through the idea of NIL before it went into effect, I think that was incredibly helpful for our department um, because now we have an understanding of what we need, and we can be more proactive in forward thinking because our director of NIL, um, you know really keeps a pulse on what's going on nationally and is really trying to, you know push us to be more creative. And so we're meeting weekly and we can kind of address these questions in real time and come to solutions in real time before they're before, you know, another institution is doing it and we feel like we're playing catch up. So, yes, our, our jobs in general are, are relationship built. But with NIL in particular, it has been so beneficial.
0: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I, years ago, uh, many moons ago when I was a B-Roy, I just remember when the compliance officer would come into a practice and the coaches would cringe like they'd done something wrong. You know, it's like Voldemort coming in here. Uh, you know, that, that really that person needs to work in concert with the coaches and the student athlete, not just on this, but in general. And I hope we're getting to that point. Stan, let's do a little NIL for dummies here to, to steal that phrase, um, uh, you know, from those thick books there that, uh, to explain things. Let's dumb it down. We hear these terms thrown around all over the place. So I'm just going to pepper you with a couple. What is a collective?
1: Well, Collective is essentially a group of individuals that come together and some of them have formally uh, created uh, nonprofits, uh, organizations or other limited liability organizations with the intent of providing uh, name, image and likeness opportunities to student athletes in general. In most cases, it might be for student athletes at a specific university. Uh, and that seems to be uh, primarily what we're seeing a lot of, and that is a number of these collectives popping up uh, to specifically assist uh, the schools or the, the school in which those individuals um, uh, have a, an affinity for. Um, and, and a lot of them are may have already been boosters that are now collectively coming together as a booster organization and creating a collective or just other fans or other people that are really have an affinity to a specific university. So that's in in essence what uh, these uh, collectives that are popping up, that's what they are. They are are a group of individuals primarily uh, seeking to assist uh, student athletes with uh, obtaining name, image and likeness opportunities and generally uh, for specific universities.
0: All right, so what is the line with a donor in terms of what they can and cannot do?
1: So um, once a person becomes a uh, a representative of an institution's athletics interests, as basically an individual who uh, has either donated money to their athletics department or donated money uh, to specific sports at a particular university, somehow assisted that university's athletics department. In, uh, in moving forward uh, the, the goals and, and aspirations that that athletics department has. Once they become a booster, uh, then there are specific rules that apply to boosters, such as in the recruiting space. Boosters are not permitted to uh, basically go out and recruit prospective student athletes to come to their, uh, or to specific universities. Uh, they're not supposed to be involved in calling and, and talking to prospective student athletes about coming to certain institutions. They are not uh, allowed to be kind of in that recruiting space, which is solely for coaches and administrators of of an institution. But some of these collectives, once they get into assisting student athletes with getting a name, image, and likeness opportunity, they become a booster. And some are not as um understanding of the recruiting rules and begin to go into that other area of recruiting and provides uh information uh that's of a recruiting nature to pres- prospective student athletes about attending certain institutions as well as student athletes who may be at institutions right now um, providing them with information about what they may or may not be able to do for them if they were to enter the transfer portal and transfer to a specific
0: institution. Paya, uh, I remember prior to NIL, one of the concerns was uh, if School X is a Nike school and I cut a deal with Adidas uh, as an individual, you know, what am I allowed to wear, promote on Instagram, even on my body? Um, Where are we in that space if a student athlete at Ohio State uh, wants to cut a deal with an entity that potentially could contradict a sponsor uh, with the Ohio State uh, Athletic Department?
2: So it, uh, it, it depends completely state by state. So our state law does not allow for student athletes to do activities during team time. Uh, And so from an institutional perspective, we were able to identify that. So you won't be seeing, you know, one of our football student athletes wearing Adidas or promoting Adidas while out on the field uh, when Ohio State plays in a a couple of Saturdays. Um, But in their own free time, they are able to do as they please, um, provided that there's there's a, a series of restricted categories that have been identified by our state law. Um, and then had been reestablished by our institutional NIL guidelines uh, that student athletes can't do. But what we ask of our student athletes and what's required under state law is that they disclose all of their agreements to us. Um, So they will send their contracts and then institutionally we review them to confirm that there is no requirement that would interfere with an institutional contract. so far, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, and when we have identified an issue, it's been before a student athlete has signed a contract. And so we're able to have the language changed. Um, but for the most part, you know, the student athletes have the, uh, have the autonomy to participate in deals that, that they're interested in. Um, it, you know, on our side, it's just a lot of giving corporate partners a heads up, that a student athlete may have their own individual deal that they will be doing outside of their role as an Ohio State student athlete. Um, just so that they have an
0: awareness of that. Stan, years ago, there were things such as no-show jobs. Um, the key word that Pia just said are contracts. And we've already seen a case here uh, in the late summer where an individual decided not to play the sport, uh, has an NIL deal. But I mean, I haven't seen the contract, but I would assume if it's, you know, if it's not based on a performance, then that person may get the money uh, because they have a contract. Um, and obviously every contract's different. How has that changed? You know, that in in the enforcement world, because that used to be an issue where, yeah, you don't have to show up. We're going to pay you for the job X. Uh, and that used to be a violation. And now with a contract that could be different.
1: Well, um, within the contracts, uh, naming like this contract, there's, there still has to be some kind of quid pro quo, um, the more you get into um, uh, paying somebody uh, for their name, image, and likeness without having to do anything or out without uh, trying to put some kind of value on that individual, what they would be doing and what the value is on that, then you are getting more into that area, that gray area in which um, there is no quid pro quo. Therefore, these individuals are being paid for... Basically, uh, not doing anything, which is the same uh, that that law or that legislation hasn't changed as it relates to uh, employment. Uh, it would also imply apply to name image, and likeness contracts, because uh, essentially what it comes down to is if you're paying somebody just to play, that's pay for play, and that's not what the um, the interim policy was. Uh, Purporting to uh, advance, uh, if anything, it was the total opposite of that. Now, I also understand that you know there is there are, there are issues surrounding the the almost 30 different state laws that are out there. Therefore, there is you know we still see the need for us to continue to try to work with Congress to get everybody on the same page across the country, so that people aren't uh, really looking at others' deals in other states without knowing exactly whether or not they're following their state law or they're doing something else that's permissible
0: within their state. What's the most pressing issue right now for enforcement? Stan, then Pia. I think
1: uh, the most pressing thing is, you know, we, 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 we are following um, uh, basically every, uh, article that's out there on name, image, and likeness, and we're, we're actively, uh, proactively trying to find the uh, correct information as to whether or not what's, what's being reported is, is or is not correct. And the other thing that is, you know, but what's most important for us is to get cooperation from uh, our institutions, from uh, student athletes. Um, you know, uh, in order to, in order for the enforcement staff to really move forward into uh, being able to charge or know that there is, there is a problem here, and they, they, they can um, send out an allegation uh, of, of a violation, they got, they got to have real proof. They can't have hearsay. They've got to have documented proof. They have to have people that are, are willing to to basically be witnesses to what is actually occurring and uh, providing that information to our to our staff so that we could uh, move forward with it. And uh, not saying that that's not happening, it's just not happening to the level that we need it to be happening so that we can just, uh, either confirm that this is happening and therefore we need to go further with the investigation or that's not what hap- what's happening and you know, that's one just uh, for the file. Um, knowing that the information that was provided is not totally accurate. Hi.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would I would completely agree with Stan there. I think one of the challenges from a campus perspective, and particularly for our coaches, is you know they're trying to do, they're trying to do it the right way. They're following the guidance we give them, and they feel as though others are not and are not being held accountable for it. And I understand from an enforcement perspective that's challenging, right? Because they don't have the subpoena power. And a lot of these individuals, so the NIL collectives in particular, may not have a tie to the institution and really have no obligation to to provide any sort of information or documentation or phone records or text records or whatever that may be. So from their perspective, I can completely understand that's a challenge. Um, But from a campus side, you know, we we hear it day in and day out from our coaches that, um, you know, this school is doing this and this school is doing this and why aren't we allowed to do this and you know we've lost this recruit because of x y and z Um, and and it's just hard uh, because we want our coaches to to continue to do things the right way and we're encouraging them to, to continue to do that um, but when we're not seeing a case on the other side where we can point out specific examples of, you know, well, you you brought this up to us, and here's what happened to that coach, or here's what happened uh, to that institution, it does make it a little bit more challenging for us to have some teeth in this in this relationship.
0: We mentioned the 30 states, if if that number is correct, about you know different laws. Uh, we're in the era of the transfer portal, but year two of this, so how do you handle PIA on campus? when student comes in and said, you know, I had this deal in this state, Um, why can't I have the same thing here in Ohio?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, both that and then also um, high schools, you know, some uh, states are allowing NIL for high school students. Ohio is not one of those states that's allowing that. And so there's just a different level of playing field uh, state by state uh, at at the moment, which is, it's just a challenge. And so what we really try to do and what our coaches are trying to do is it's recruit both, you know, talking about the NIL opportunities that can be available just based on Ohio State's fan base, but all of the other opportunities that are available as, a, as an Ohio State student athlete as well and the culture that you sort of come into um, that we've built. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's an incredible challenge. It's uh, for our coaches. I really feel for them because they're having to recruit their student athletes on a year to year basis at this point, um, which would be exhausting. It, it, it's a real challenge. Um, and so that's where our athletic director is so supportive. It's um it, it's just been a challenge, but that's why our athletic director really has focused on, you know, building our culture within the department, which makes it more challenging for our student athletes to want to go somewhere else because they know that we're, we're building championship programs here and they're going to receive both support on and off the field.
0: So Stan, um, where are we in the legislative track uh, as it moves, you know, in trying to to see what happens in Congress? Obviously, there's been a lot of chatter from senators from both sides of the aisle, but as we know, it's very difficult to get anything done. We're in an election year. Um, We've got the convention in January. What's being done to try to maybe do something at the national level within the NCAA Uh, in lieu of not knowing what will happen in Washington?
1: Well, first, uh, Andy, let me tell you that uh, the Board of Governors has a subcommittee on uh, congressional engagement and and action that was just created. It's gonna be chaired by um, Jack DeJoy, the president at Georgetown. And and that uh, group is gonna be charged with uh, essentially working with uh, Congress and trying to help educate them and help them uh, figure out how best to help us uh, in, in this particular space. And then, number two, uh, in Division One, um, and I'm sure in Division Two II and Three, have, have a similar body, and that is uh, the, the, uh, there's a Division One Council um, on, on Name, Image, and Likeness that uh, is chaired by Linda Teeler, the, the uh, uh, Deputy AD at Florida. Uh, they are charged with looking at almost on a weekly basis, keeping up with everything that's going on out there, what things they're hearing, what, and then really focusing in on what changes uh, could we potentially make at this point in time uh, to make things better, to make things better for coaches and and make things better for our student athletes as well as give a better understanding to those that are getting into the name image and likeness space of the do's and the don'ts uh, at this point in time so uh, so legislatively we have a, a subcommittee that uh, in, in each division that's looking at it almost weekly to come up with some potential legislative changes uh, as well as we have a, a, a group at the highest level that will be working with congress to try to come up with something that'll help um, uh, usurp in essence, all the uh, uh, different uh, state laws around this and put everybody on the same uh, level,
0: level playing field as it relates to name, image and likeness. Paya, at the campus level, um, one of the fears prior to this that I think now is being, you know that's not happening uh, is A, that it would only be the high profile sports, not the case. Um, or male-dominated, not the case at all. Uh, And two, uh, that this would cause locker room issues if one player was receiving this and, you know, the second-string lineman was not receiving this or down the line regardless of sport. Um, That's for me on the outside. You're there on the ground level. Uh, What are you seeing in terms of uh, the ability for, you know, male and female athletes, uh, regardless of sport, high profile, low profile, you name it, Olympic, that everyone has an opportunity and that it has not created controversy within the locker rooms?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's been a phenomenal opportunity for all student athletes. I'm sure if you look across the country, it would probably be dominated by football in terms of amount of dollars actually earned. But in terms of number of opportunities, it's across all sports. So we've had student athletes from all of our, we have 36 sports from every, from all of our sports have been represented. Um, our first few sports um, with the most earnings are male sports, but then it's predominantly female. Uh, because, you know, they're out there and they, they have a great fan base as well, specifically our you know, women's volleyball program and our women's softball program uh, have really done a great job. Um, so, yes, it's, it's been great to sort of see the opportunities go just beyond the football and the basketballs and really spread through the Olympic sports as well. Uh, and I think it'll just keep growing, particularly as we get closer again to another Olympic year and people start ramping up the excitement as national teams are being named as well. Um, And as for for locker rooms, I think it will change from from locker room to locker room from school to school. But I really think that is where the coaches uh, and the directors of player personnel and student athlete development and player development are really the most key is making sure that they're treating everyone equally uh, in the locker room, on the field, in the team meeting rooms. Um, so that, you know, there there isn't that issue of, well, so-and-so has this deal and now I'm blocking for them, uh, but I don't, I'm not getting that same sort of money. So that really is the relationship development piece. And I, I can't speak for any other school other than, than what we have here, but we do have a phenomenal coaching staff that are aware of that. That's been something we've been tracking on ever since we started talking about NIL. And so it's having those proactive conversations with the student athletes to ensure that they all feel supported and know that they are equal within the, eyes of the coaching staffs.
0: Sam, I'm going to get you the last word here. Uh, I personally think that it's been one of the driving forces in keeping players, student athletes in college over the last year and not just chasing a professional contract unless they are a lock. Uh, We'll see if that trend continues, but I think it certainly has worked in the favor of keeping student athletes, maybe not the same school, but certainly within the membership uh, a year from now. Let's be positive here. Where do you hope NIL is a year from now? Well, I hope
1: it continues to uh, grow and provide more and more opportunities for our student athletes uh, to be able to monetize off their name, image, and likeness. Um, but I, I hope it's, uh, that we are able to create the kinds of guardrails around, uh, around name, image, and likeness to allow for our coaches, our administrators, Uh, everyone on campus to feel a little bit better about how things are operating. You know, people want to feel uh, comfortable that they believe that their peers, who they compete against, are doing uh, the similar or same types of things that they are in this space to make sure that they're doing doing it the right way, Um, mainly uh, also for student athlete health and welfare. Uh, you know, we still have an obligation to make sure that we're uh, making sure that our student athletes are getting, you know, you know the best deals and are not getting uh, taken in by unscrupulous individuals. Uh, if we can have, in a year from now, people feeling more comfortable because of the diff- additional safeguards that we've been able to maybe put in place, That's what I'd love to see. And I, and I, and I, and and again, I'd love to continue to see our student athletes be able to grow in this space because I think uh, it's a positive thing. And uh, and I know that our student athletes uh, are enjoying the fact that they have this opportunity now.
0: Pye and Stan, I really appreciate the time you're giving me here on our show on the social series on this topic that I know we're going to continue to talk about uh, in the year ahead. Uh, As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series, where all our social series, over 100 episodes, are all archived. Check them all out. Thanks for watching this one.